Virginia's clear tonight. Senate confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett got underway today. President Trump returns to the campaign trail, and New Yorkers remember David Graeber at Zuccotti Park, site of the Occupy Wall Street movement he helped ignite. In New York, I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of The Independent, and this is the WBAI Evening News for Monday, October 12, 2020. And happy Indigenous Peoples Day to all our listeners here in New York on 99.5 FM and on streaming at WBAI.org. Earlier today, the Senate Judiciary Committee began its confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett. Barrett was nominated by President Trump to replace deceased Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and if confirmed, would give conservatives a decisive 6-3 to three advantage on the Supreme Court. The Republicans currently hold a 12-11 to 11 advantage on the Judiciary Committee and a 53-47 to 47 majority in the Senate. While Republicans rushed to confirm Coney Barrett before Election Day, California Senator Dianne Feinstein, the ranking Democrat on the committee, vowed to scrutinize Coney Barrett's potential impact on a case the Supreme Court will hear later in November that could lead to the dismantling of the Affordable Care Act. Health care coverage for millions of Americans is at stake with this nomination. So over the course of these hearings, my colleagues and I will focus on that subject. We will examine the consequences if, and that's a big if, Republicans succeed in rushing this nomination through the Senate before the next president takes office. Coney Barrett is expected to make her opening statement tomorrow, and the hearing is expected to continue through the week. Facing the prospect of a right-wing-dominated Supreme Court for decades to come, many progressives are calling for the court to be expanded next year by two to four seats if Democrats win the White House in both houses of Congress in the November elections. Republicans are accusing Democrats of seeking to, quote, pack the court. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden declined again this weekend to say what he might do and pointed instead to the GOP's hypocrisy on the matter. The only court packing going on right now, going on with Republicans packing the court now, it's not constitutional what they're doing. We should be focused on what's happening right now. (laughs) And the fact is that the only packing going on is this court is being packed now by the Republicans after the vote has already begun. I'm going to stay focused on it so we don't take the eyes off the ball here. Biden's lead in the presidential race continues to widen, with most polls now showing him holding a double-digit lead nationally and leading or tied in all the swing states. President Trump returned to the campaign trail Saturday, speaking from the White House back from the White House balcony to a crowd of about 500 mostly maskless supporters who were packed together on the White House lawn. The event was organized by black conservative commentator Candace Owens. Trump insisted to the crowd that he had been the best president for black America since Honest Abe himself. I say the fact is that I've done more for the black community than any president since Abraham Lincoln. I say it. Nobody can dispute it. Nobody can dispute it. It's true. 528 years ago today, Christopher Columbus came ashore on a Caribbean island somewhere near the Bahamas, initiating the European conquest of the Americas. 
Here in New York, Indigenous Peoples Day protests vied with the traditional Columbus Day parade, which was held virtually this year with Governor Andrew Cuomo presiding as Grand Marshal. In Portland, Oregon, in Portland, Oregon, protesters celebrated Indigenous Peoples Day last night by toppling a statue of Theodore Roosevelt, our nation's 24th president, who was an ardent backer of expanding U.S. imperial power from Puerto Rico to Panama to the Philippines. Here in New York, the drive to end the use of solitary confinement at Rikers Island continues. Members of the Campaign for Alternatives to Isolated Confinement rallied yesterday in Foley Square in Lower Manhattan to call for the end to the practice. Among those protesting were family members of Laylene Polanco, a 27-year-old transgendered woman who died last year at Rikers while in solitary confinement. We'll talk more about this after the break with Laylene Polanco's sister. And finally, here in New York, friends and admirers of David Graeber gathered in Zuccotti Park yesterday for a memorial carnival to celebrate his life. Graeber, an anarchist and anthropologist, was the best-selling author of Debt, the first 5,000 years, and he played a key role in helping organize the Occupy Wall Street protests that began in the fall of 2011, and he is credited with helping coin the slogan, We Are the 99%. Graeber was born and raised here in New York City and died in Venice, Italy, September 2nd, at the age of 59. Among those performing at yesterday's memorial were Reverend Billy and the Church of Stop Shopping Gospel Choir. In this clip, you can hear them singing Capitalismo No Mas, or Capitalism No More. We will be back with more after this short break. These are the words of the Declaration of the Occupation of Wall Street. We are the 99%. 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 We That was We Are the 99% as performed by the Church of Stop Shopping Gospel Choir. You're listening to the WBAI Evening News presented by the independent New York City's progressive newspaper and website now celebrating 20 years of publishing. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. You can find our latest coverage at independent.org 
Also, our October print edition hit the streets recently, and you can find it in our red and white news boxes on a street corner near you. In our first segment this evening, we look at the drive to end solitary confinement at Rikers Island, the city jail that houses about 5,000 incarcerated men and women. Critics say solitary confinement is torture. Its defenders say it's necessary to protect both guards and inmates from other violent inmates. City Council is poised to take up the issue, and Mayor Bill de Blasio has said he wants to end the practice as well, but hasn't followed through on that commitment. Joining us this evening to talk about this is Melania Brown. She is the sister of Laylene Polanco, a 27-year-old transgendered woman who died in April 2019 while being held in solitary confinement at Rikers. The city recently agreed to a 5.5%. $9 million settlement with Polanco's family while the family and others continue the struggle to end the use of solitary confinement at Rikers. Melania, welcome to the WBAI Evening News. Hello, thanks for having me. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. And first of all, can you tell us about your sister, the kind of person she was, as well as what happened to her at Rikers and why you are determined to end the use of solitary confinement at Rikers Island? Um, well, let me start off. I'm, I'm going to um, read real quick, you know, what um, a little bit of my background and um, what happened to my sister. So my name is uh, Melania Brown. I'm an, I'm an activist and sister of Belene Olanco Chavaganza, an Afro-Latina woman who died in solitary confinement in Rikers Island in New York in, on June 2019. Belene's case got a unique attention because of the various uh, circumstances that entangled Leilene in the criminal legal system, which led to her death. Leilene was held at Rikers because she could not afford a $500, a $500 cash bail, and her death took place amid around growing calls to end cash bail. Leilene was detained at Rikers as a result of previous charge for survival sex work and already growing calls to discriminate sex work. Leilene was a member of the legendary House of Extravaganza, one of the best-known, longest-running houses of the ballroom scene. Leilene's death also took place mere days before the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, when many eyes were on the New York City. Leilene's death and and, 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 and ensuing advocacy work led by the New York City Anti-Violence Project resulted in Mayor Palacio commenting to ending, committing to ending solitary confinement in all New York City prisons, which has, which as of publishing date has not happened. In June 2020, the Bronx VA office declined to press charges against officials responsible for Leilene's death. Her family is suing the city for neglect, uh, uh, for, uh, for, uh, for the, you know, for the fact that they, they neglected her. Um, Leilene, she was, my sister was full of life. Leilene has so much more life to give. My sister did not deserve to die the way that she died. Solitary confinement is a practice that it's inhumane and needs to be ended. And I don't know how many more lives it's, it's going to take for, for, you know, for this practice to end. Right. And uh, I understand there's a measure before city council to roll back or entirely end this practice. Uh, where do things stand with the city council as well as the mayor? Uh, well, could this fact be repealed? Well, honestly, the mayor, he made a promise using my sister's name, and I'm sick of broken promises, you know. Um, yeah, has not, and nothing has been done. They keep pushing the votes. 
um, there's we're really people are, we need these votes in because we need to end this. And it's like they've taken that right from us to keep prolonging us. They're just feeding us tablespoon of promises that they're not, you know, they're not sticking to it. I'm holding, I'm holding him on to that. I'm holding him on to ending solitary confinement in New York City. Um, it, as of yet, nothing has happened. Um, we are, you know, the people need to, we need to really stay on top of this and we need to continue to push forward because as long as we, they, our voices are not heard, they're going to keep prolonging this process. So nothing has happened as of yet with solitary confinement. Mm. Are y'all finding uh, support among members of city council or not so much? Do we, have, do we have support? I mean, I'm in the fight just like everybody else. So I don't feel I have support from the community, um, okay. you know, from organizations, not really from like the government per se or, or councils. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the same run. I'm in the same fight as everybody else. I'm not receiving no special treatments. My family's not receiving no special treatments or, you know, it's just I, I am out there with everybody else fighting for the same thing to end solitary confinement. Okay. And, and, and last of all, uh, can you let people know how they can find out more uh, if they want to learn more or get involved? Uh, is there a website they can go to? Yeah, so they could um, follow the Anti-Violence Project page. Um, I did a lot of my work. A lot of my work that I've done for my sister has been through them. Um, they're the first one that grabbed, you know, that shine light on my sister. So they could um, find the project uh, on Instagram, Facebook. It's called the Anti-Violence Project. Um, they on there they post a lot of information and a lot of the work that we you know that we do and a lot of the rallies and stuff like that and information that people um can obtain to to continue um this fight with us you know there will be emails phone numbers that they could call you know people need to keep they need to stay consistent they need to keep calling don't give up this is our life this is the life of our future we need to stay persistent we need to keep making those calls sending those emails um they could also follow my page is melania um underscore brown on instagram i also post a lot of information on there okay well we'll have to leave it there but melania brown sister of Leilene polanco thank you so much for joining us this evening on the wbi evening news Thank you so much for sharing your space um, with me and my family. I, we truly appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Good night. All right. We will be back with more after this short break. That was Indigenous Peoples Day, performed by Mariana Harvey and Issa Shash. You're listening to the WBAIV News, presented by The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website, now celebrating 20 years of publishing. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. You can find our latest coverage at independent.org, and also you can find our 
recently released October print edition on the streets of New York in our red and white street boxes uh, on a corner near you. Before we continue on with our next segment, I want to encourage everyone who can do so to give generously to WBAI and help keep shows like this on the air and help keep voices like Melania Brown's uh, beaming across the New York City area. You can give by calling 516-620-3602 or going straight to give number to WBAI.org. Again, that number is 516-620-3602. You can make a one-time donation or better yet, sign up as a WBAI buddy for $10 per month or more and help keep WBAI going strong. And I will share that information again uh, one more time at the end of the show. Uh, Moving on to our next segment, uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Jordan uh, Teicher. He's a a reporter for The Independent uh, who has an article in our October print edition called Red Wave Rising, How a Socialist Squad Could Transform City Council. We just heard from Melania Brown uh, from the campaign uh, to uh, try to end solitary confinement at Rikers and they're running into a brick, a bit of a brick wall at city council, and there's a lot of other issues uh, that uh, progressives would like to see advanced. And next year, there's going to be city council races and a, a whole lot of open seats, and there's a possibility for a big transformation. And uh, Jordan's going to share with us a little bit more how that's looking and, and, and how that could uh, go. Uh, Jordan, welcome to the WBAI Evening News. Thanks for having me on. Sure. So uh, with this uh, with this article we have in, in this month's independent, I, I guess first of all, can you sort of sum up the the opportunity uh, that exists uh, heading into 2021 for for the left in New York to really make big advances uh, on the city council? Yeah, next year's elections present a really big opportunity for the left. Uh, 35 of the city council's 51. Uh, members will be term limited out of office next year. So you have the chance for a really big shift in the balance of power uh, in the council. And socialists are running. They're running in all across the five boroughs. In some districts, there's several socialists seeking office. So uh, it's not clear how many of them will succeed, of course, but um, you saw socialists win uh, a number of seats in the state legislature uh, during the summer's elections, so there's a very strong possibility that you're going to see uh, a, a substantial number of socialists uh, take office next year. Mm. And if that happens, uh, if we have a, a squad, so to speak, of, of socialists and other uh, allied uh, left progressives, uh, what all could they accomplish? Well, the answer depends a lot on, on what happens at the federal and the state level. Um, right now, of course, the city is, is starved for revenue, and we're facing a several billion dollar budget deficit. Um, right now, the Trump administration refuses to send federal assistance to the city or the state. And if he stays in power, we're going to have trouble maintaining basic services. Um, if Biden wins, we could see a lot more money coming to the city and socialists could play a big role in making sure that money gets spent in ways that benefit the working class. Um, even with that federal assistance, though, it's not going to be enough to fund big socialist programs like a Green New Deal for New York or public housing construction. Um, so in order to raise money, you can either borrow, the city can borrow, or you can tax the rich. Both of those require state approval, but socialists are still a minority in the state legislature, and the governor seems uninterested in doing either of those things. 
Um, you could have a mayor who's on board with that agenda, but we're not sure who that's going to be. Um, so we're not going to be sure who, what kind of ally socialists will have in uh, Gracie Mansion. And that's important because we have a really powerful mayor. So this could be an uphill battle for socialists, at least when it comes to creating programs that cost a lot of money. But that said, there are other powers that the council has uh, besides its role in, in crafting the budget. What, what are some of those other powers? Yeah, so uh, a big thing to consider is uh, how many socialists are elected. So I'm told that if there were 10 or more socialists in the council, uh, you could influence the election of the council speaker. The speaker selects committee chairman and determines the day-to-day priorities of the council. Um, the speaker could also determine the con- composition of a charter revision commission, which could then propose major changes to the structure and function of the city's government. And socialists are already thinking about um, some big changes that could be uh, created through a charter revision. One of them is a comprehensive planning framework. Right now, uh, the city's approach to planning is very piecemeal and often very unjust. Um, so if you had a charter revision, um, you wouldn't see these uh, rezoning by rezoning fights like the one that just happened uh, in Industry City. Um, a charter revision could also allow for the creation of a uh, elected civilian review board. Um, unlike the civilian complaint review board, which we have now, um, to deal with uh, police misconduct, um, that's overseen by the mayor, the police commissioner, and city council. The elected civilian review board um, would be elected by voters and accountable to them. So those are a few things that, that socialists are thinking about. That's exciting. And I just have uh, one more minute here. Uh, there was a, a block of six socialists elected to the Chicago City Council in the Windy City last year. Uh, I understand uh, from the article they've had their ups and downs, but uh, can you summarize uh, where, where things stand there with their socialist city council squad? Yeah, so I, I spoke with Alderman Andre Vasquez in Chicago. He's one of the six socialists elected uh, to the city council last year. Um, he said it's been really helpful to support uh, labor movement and other um, left activists. Uh, for instance, he says that when the uh, Chicago Teachers Union went on strike for two weeks uh, last year, it was really helpful to have uh, socialists in government um, to support them and actually gave them some leverage in their negotiations. So I think um, a similar situation could happen in New York. Um, you could see uh, council members um, really bolstering the movement um, by having that perch in city council and building the movement and also informing uh, left campaigns that are trying to push other elected officials uh, to the left in city council. Okay, uh, Jordan Teicher, we'll have to leave it there for now, but thank you for joining us this evening on the WBAI Evening News to talk about your really outstanding uh, article in this month's Independent called Red Wave Rising, How a Socialist Squad Could Transform City Council. Thanks, John. You bet. Okay, we'll be back after a short break with uh, one more segment where we will talk about the Workers United Film Festival, a really important uh, cultural event here in New York that has uh, gone virtual for the first time due due to the pandemic. Yeah. 
Take love, celebrate, and be proud. was the Indigenous People's Day song performed by Mariana Harvey and Issa Shash. You're listening to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website, now celebrating its 20, 20th year of publishing. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. Uh, for our last segment this evening, uh, we were planning on talking with uh, Andrew Tilson, Executive Director of the Workers Unite Film Festival, uh, which is uh, which got underway uh, last Thursday and runs through the 18th of October and has dozens of really outstanding uh, worker-oriented films uh, that it's sharing online. Uh, Andrew, are are you with us this evening? Yes. Can you hear All me? All right. Uh, wasn't sure if we were going to be able to get you on the line. It's great to have you with us. So we just ha- unfortunately have a, a couple of minutes here, but uh, can you tell our audience a, a little bit about the Workers Unite Film Festival and some of the highlights and, and how they can uh, – you know, partake of it all. Sure. Thanks, John. Um, basically, write this down. You go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, and then capital W-A-T-C-H, watch, capital W-U-F-F-9, watch Wolf 9. So that's how you get to the catalog page. This is the ninth season. This year, of course, we had to go virtual, and we booted it up to this amazing site in partnership with something called Eventive. So we have close to 55 movies. We have live streams. We have movies, uh, The Great Postal Heist, exactly about what's happening with the uh, post office right now. We have In Search of Professor Precarious, about precarious workers. We all know about that. Veins of resistance about the whole uprising in Chile, which is exactly what we're going to need to do here if we have problems with Trump. It's a brilliant movie. We're going to have a talk back with people right from Santiago talking about who put it together. So we have all kinds of movies. We have a couple of wild cards, uh, Digging for Weldon Irving, about this amazing musician uh, who was Nina Simone's band leader and pianist for many years. And, of course, one and only Jewish Miss America, Beth Meyerson, the working class hero, the first Jewish Miss America from the Bronx, New York. So kind of everything, all kinds of different things from super political to kind of more cultural. And you can go to the website, also workersunitefilmfestival.org. Click on the event of link. There are several tickets are uh, 750 a show. Live streams are free. And uh, just watch. What can I? What can I tell you? Yeah, it's a great chance to uh, you know turn off your Netflix and uh, binge watch uh, some something different and, and some real some really high quality films. I used to go to the theater every year to catch uh, Workers Unite Film Festival, and now I can just uh, watch it from my uh, living room. Right. So now you have no excuse. You don't have to get on a subway, take a cab, or anything. You can 
be there at one o'clock in the morning watching films that not only entertain you but educate you. And, All right. Uh, yeah. We'll have to leave it there. But uh, Andrew Tilson from Workers United Film Festival, thank you so much for joining us tonight on WBI Evening News. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the independent. Thanks, John. You bet. All righty. That just about wraps it up. Special thanks to the Indies, Amber Gagarian and Renee Feltz for their help with tonight's show.